Hello out there, and welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. We're coming up right here at the end of the preseason. Next week is a game week. Um, Really, they've already kind of closed down fall camp and started to prepare uh, like it's a bye week for UNC next week. Um, before we get too far into it, I did want to let you guys know that we have one like final promotion probably for the year uh, this weekend on Rivals. Uh, so if you missed our promotion last week, which was, I believe, Go Cox 23 or whatever, uh, make sure you take advantage of the promotion Kickoff 2023. So you go to the Insiders Forum or one of our uh, premium articles or just go to register. Um, and whenever you check out, put in code KICKOFF2023 and you'll get 60% off for a whole year, which is pretty good. Um, that's only running until Monday. And like I said, that'll be the last one of 2023 in general. So definitely get in on, in on that if you've been waiting on a promo. Now is the time. Um, we are on Instagram and the artist formerly known as Twitter, which I guess is X. Um, sure. We're on YouTube. We're on all the things. So make sure you follow us, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Uh, we are at Rivals Gamecock on all of our social media. So let's talk about recruiting just a little bit. Last week, we had kind of teased that Daniel Hill was set to announce this week. That didn't happen um, because the day before, or two days before, I can't remember exactly what the day was now. Day before. Um, yeah, day before, he tweeted out that he was going to push back his commitment. The little bit of digging I've done on that is that some people close to him have kind of said, like, wait and see how the season plays out a, a little before making that decision. Um, I don't know that there's, like, a particular record that he's looking at for South Carolina or anything. Um, but yeah, he was mainly down to South Carolina, Alabama before this, I felt pretty good about South Carolina's chances had he announced on Wednesday. So obviously adding some more time into the mix, more things can happen. Um, I think he's still probably considering both schools. Um, I don't think that he's, um, a lost cause or anything at this point, but you would have rather had that commitment on Wednesday than not, obviously. Um, so we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, he obviously has a lot more opportunity at South Carolina. There's a pretty gaping hole in the running back room right now, um, especially if you consider um, what you do have is mostly veterans that are leaving after this year. Um, Alabama, meanwhile, I believe brought in like a five-star and two four-stars over the last couple of classes. So Sounds about right. Uh, you know. Um, Opportunity-wise, definitely more South Carolina, but it, it's tough to turn down Bama. It's closer to his home. Um, we'll have to see, you know, kind of what he's prioritizing and what his family's prioritizing there. As far as I've heard, unlike many of the other uh, sort of, I guess, last-minute disappointments that happened over the summer, this one is not so much tied to NIL. Uh, Hill doesn't seem as particularly motivated by that as maybe some of the ones over the summer um but i mean you know that always plays at least some level of factor nowadays as well uh i'll have more on the weekly recruiting wrap up tomorrow morning if you'd like to read that because it'll be a premium article maybe use that promo code kickoff 2023 and i know alan's gonna have a cool article tomorrow yeah uh can we tease it in any way um it's shane beamer related and it's not really football related we'll just there you go with that perfect um and we've had a, a few f fun one of those uh over the summer we've already done a deep dive on nick gargiulio's uh burgers eating, <laughs> eating exploits uh josh simon's country boy persona um so yeah we'll see what we have for shane beamer tomorrow um anyway let's get to some real football it's time uh it's game week in a few programs not this one yeah but. week zero we're going to talk about some of those games here in a little bit um but gamecocks had their second scrimmage of the preseason last uh weekend saturday. we did not yeah last saturday we did not get immediate um coverage with beamer like we did after the first one but throughout the week uh we've kind of pieced together 
a lot of what happened, both um, unofficially and officially, I guess. Um, if you want the official version, version, you can go to GamecocksCoop.com and read what several of the coaches and players said over the course of the week about the scrimmage. Uh, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some of the other things that we've heard as well. Um, I'll let you start. What did, what did you hear about last weekend? How is the offense coming along? I know, I guess, if we could give an overall on the first scrimmage, maybe the defense slightly won. From what I've heard, it sounded like the offense kind of yes. caught up a little bit in the second scrimmage, which I think is always uh, a good sign if you have, you know, kind of both showing that. But It is a good sign you have both showing it. It is. It's also the classic um, Jekyll and Hyde thing, the back and forth thing you always get in a scrimmage. Offense, definitely a better showing second time around. Moving the ball more, more controlled possessions, two double-digit play touchdown drives. Uh, that's actually what Shane Beamer said straight up. Uh, I believe it was an 18-play drive and a 14-play drive in there. Now, of course, your flip side of that is, is I was walking into availability on Wednesday, and obviously we can't watch practice, but I can hear it. Voices travel. And what is Shane Weaver talking about as we're walking by? Third downs with the defense. So can't get off the field there if you're giving up 18 and 14-play touchdown drives. But offense better, controlling the, controlling the line of scrimmage more. That's something I've heard from people this week. Um feel like they're probably closer at offensive line than maybe when we talked about this last week in terms of just knowing about those tackle spots. Um, I think they're probably starting to hone in on who they want there. I know we were writing about that a little bit this week. I believe Steven Anderson did. Um, that's kind of my main takeaway is just that feels like it's going about the way it should for your offense or maybe what you're hoping for a little bit earlier. Yeah, and I mean, I guess 14 and 18 play drives at least implied that the defense – wasn't giving up big plays. Right. Well, <laughs> um, that's true. Which, you know, I guess is, is still a positive, but it was a bugaboo last year getting off the field on the down. Um, it's, I mean, it's tough this time of year, right? Because every positive uh, for exactly. the offense is a negative for the defense and vice versa. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing them play a real team. Uh, that every, you know, if every win is a win and there is no negative. Um, so uh, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there pretty soon. Um, yeah, continue to hear good things about Spencer Rattler, uh, him sort of picking up where he left off and running with it. Uh, sounds like he and Dowell Loggins are working well together. Uh, sounds like Loggins is kind of trusting Rattler's instincts on uh, giving him a little bit more control of the offense. Um, I think that that's a good thing. Uh, it seems like, you know, the more that things got simplified and, and put into the players' hands at the end of last season, it worked pretty well. So we'll see if that continues to be the case. Um, have we gotten any word on like how quick they're planning to run? Because I know that we've seen through several sessions, they've run a good bit of hurry up. I've heard um, that perhaps in some of the scrimmages, they're running a good bit of hurry up. What are, what are you hearing on that front? I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to run Tennessee's offense, but I do think the idea is a little bit quicker, quicker decisions, more fluid offense. That goes right back to what we've heard from people and what we've talked about in here about simple offense. You know, we've heard a lot about Marcus Satterfield having too many play calls, too many packages. I think it was the Missouri game last year where Spencer kind of had a Freudian slip and said they didn't know what to do all the time after that loss. Um, this is going to be a simpler, it sounds like, quicker decision. And yes, that means faster offense. But no, they're not going to snap the ball every 13 seconds, I don't think. So just don't expect that. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see like the uh, old Chip Kelly Oregon. The Oregon offense, yeah, exactly. Um, but I do think um, streamlining some things. Um, yeah. When you get a little bit of a rhythm going, you might see them go fast a few times. Mm -hmm. Take a couple um, first downs and just keep it moving. Exactly. I will say, too, to that point, um, appreciate the comment there. Um, we heard that 14-play drive was in a two-minute situation per Beamer. So you're getting off – I know you're intentionally going no huddle in a two-minute situation, but you're still getting off 14 plays in two minutes there for whatever whatever you want to do with that. It'll, at least it happened once in a scrimmage. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Um, as far as the depth chart goes, you kind of hit on it, but uh, seems like we're going to see Dakarian Joyner as the starting running back, um, Juju McDowell as the changeup back, Mario Anderson is going to get some some play as well. Actually, I heard some good things about DJ Braswell finally uh, mm -hmm. this week. Yep. Um, so we'll be interested to see how he factors in the game plan. 
Uh, obviously, Spencer Rattler's locked in at quarterback. We did hear that Lenora Sellers potentially got a few snaps with the second team. Um, we were talking about this a little bit beforehand. I still think Doty's your number two on the depth chart. If Rattler goes down with an injury, he's you know he's coming in um, immediately. But I do think it's definitely interesting that um, they're at least giving him some looks with some of the uh, more veteran players. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really only upside for the future, I think, but I'm asking the Tanner Bailey question more than the, more than the, excuse me, the Luke Doty question with that, just because Tanner, we talked about this before Tanner Bailey was a four star. He flew from Oregon. He was traveling the end of last year. And also for depth chart purposes, you want to talk about travel. So Shane Beamer is back on Carolina calls last night. He got a depth chart question from Todd Ellis, or maybe it was a caller. I can't remember, but either way he was, if you wanted to, do some math or play a game in your head. He said 12 to 17 true freshmen are going to travel. And he said about half of them are going to play significant snaps. Just do some mental math where those fit in. You're talking about six to eight true freshmen playing big snaps against UNC is what he's implying there. Yeah. And offensively, obviously some of the biggest names there are Lenore Sellers, uh, Nicholas Harbor, who is still a little banged up um, and DJ Braswell. And we have some over-unders coming up a little bit later in the show that I think we might hit on a couple of those names uh, just to see what sort of impact that they might make this season. Um, along the offensive line, things still shuffling around a lot. Um, I, I mean, I feel like they that we'll probably see seven or eight guys against UNC no matter what. Um, Does that throw Marky Anderson or Tosin Babalade in there? For you talking about six to eight true freshmen? I would assume they're both going to travel. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm thinking that they're definitely traveling. I've also heard Trevon Ball's yeah. name a few times. Um, I don't know that any of them are in that starting five, but uh, so. rotating in. We've heard good things about walk-on Jackson Hughes, who I think we've mm -hmm. talked about the past few weeks, but um, I know he got some significant steps at left tackle in the scrimmage. Um, Sydney Fugar continues to come up, uh, looks faster, a little bit more uh, defined, I guess, than when he arrived. One of the knocks that I guess internally we had whenever we saw Fugar got signed was that he had a, a little bit of bad weight on him. Um, it seems like some of that's uh, started to fall off. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know that you necessarily will, whoever starts uh, the game in Charlotte, I don't know that that's necessarily the eventual Starting five, um, but I think it's the second driver. Yeah, would you say probably won't be the same ones on second drive? I didn't say probably not, but I said it might not yeah. be. I mean, or even within that drive, you get into a, a fourth and one situation. You bring in a sixth offensive lineman. Who do you trust the most out of those guys? What do you trust? Like, there's all kinds of situations and permutations you can come up with for how seven, eight offensive linemen get in that game in any game this season um, next Saturday night. Um. Defensively, we continue to talk about uh, linebackers. I mean, it seems like Debo Williams has taken a step forward, really um, solidified his starting role. Stone Blanton's probably going to be the other starter, but then same thing. You're going to see Pup Howard as long as he's healthy. You're going to see Mokaba as he is coming back from that injury, probably on a limited basis at first, but then full go. Um, yeah, I think you got a, a steady rotation of guys there that, that, that can all contribute. Yeah, and again, it's linebacker. You can't play two linebackers a game for 70, 80 snaps against UNC's offense. That's just not going to happen, or any offense for that matter. And say the same about defensive tackle and edge rusher, too. It's just nobody's playing all the snaps. I guess one other thing that we have not mentioned yet today uh, since we last talked, um, Drew Tuazama, who we kind of – uh, have hinted at, at in the over the offseason he needed to graduate um, he graduated and then immediately uh, is on campus at South Carolina um, they say that he's gonna be ready to go for the opening game I don't know that he'll that necessarily means he's a starter but it wouldn't surprise me if he gets a couple of snaps he's a six three two seventy five edge rusher edge rusher he might be a little taller than that uh, Five sacks at UAB last year um, really came on strong at the end of the season for UAB. Has had kind of a, a twisted path. He went to was it Syracuse? Syracuse, and yeah. 
yeah, he went to Syracuse, then went to East Mississippi Community College, which is where um, Elijah Davis came from. That's how the connection, I think, was made with the program. Yep. Uh, and then, um, yeah, now he's here. So, well, I guess then UAB and now he's here. Um, some other EMCC guys, uh, several of the suspended players from South Carolina last season were thinking like uh, Montague Rames, Anthony Rose, and... Is it Upshaw? I don't know if Upshaw ended up there. Zay Hardy, who had to go, had to be essentially gray-shirted. Gray uh, for those of you that have been around recruiting a long time, um, if you remember that term, uh, I don't think that that is an official term anymore, but um, he's probably going to bounce there and then bounce back as long as he gets his grades in order. And it wouldn't surprise me if eventually we see Rames back. I don't know. I don't feel as confident about Rose um, just because the charge was a little bit more severe against him, I guess. Um, but we'll see. Uh, I think he had also gotten in trouble previous to that internally or whatever. So we'll see how that goes. But anyway, South Carolina and EMC, EMCC seem to have a little bit of a relationship forming in that way. All right. Uh, any other notes on that second scrimmage? It's about what I had. You can check out some more stuff on the website, um, gamecutsoup.com, obviously, if you're subscribed. Or if you want to subscribe with the promo, um, I got some more scrimmage stuff there. Or go back to the first scrimmage or any of the practice reports. Yeah. Um, I guess one other just like highlight is in the absence of Antoine Wells, it sounds like Omega Blake yes. has continued to uh, make some plays and, and solidify his status. On the 2D, uh, light seems to have come on for him. So we'll be interesting to see what sort of impact he makes this year. Uh, let's get it. I mean, that's actually a good transition. Can we get into the injuries a little bit? Uh, what's the latest on that? Um, latest on the injury front, Shane Beamer just said there's a whole lot of guys who are anywhere from questionable and probable. And he still anticipates all of them, except obviously Nichols and Brubaker, who were hurt going into camp, playing next Saturday night. Uh, Juice Wells, Nick Harbour, Trey Knox, he said they're all expecting to play next Saturday night. Tyreek Johnson, same thing. He's been in a blue jersey the whole time. We've had open practice. He didn't practice on Tuesday, but he said he was close to returning to practice. Juice Wells is doing more and more every day, and his practicing is what Shane Beamer said on Carolina Calls last night. Um, it sounds like it's all – Pup Howard was in a blue last time we saw him. Beamer said he's back and getting back to it. It seems like he is just trending where he needs to go. And as long as there's nothing crazy between now and next week, you should have pretty close to a full deck of cards to play with uh, in Charlotte. Yeah. And, and, and Beamer also gave us a little bit of insight on, I guess, the way that they construct camp. The first couple of weeks are a little bit more brutal as far as um, contact and everything goes. And then you, you lessen up as you get closer to actual gameplay, which makes sense. So, yeah. Um, you would think that any injuries from here to there are, are something freak, non-contact, or something that's going to happen in an actual game. Um, so, yeah, you, you sound like you're about as healthy as you can be. Um, obviously, there's always going to be something. But. Yeah. Um, all right, Rick, I wanted to do like just a fun little draft of our favorite things about football season. We are in week zero. It's right here. Um, we've got preseason NFL football going on. Like it's it's right around the corner before it's going to be full blown for the next, you know, 14, 15, however many weeks. Um, so let's just go back and forth. We can each pick one at a time uh, and maybe later we'll tweet out our, our little drafts and see see which one of us won. Um, so you want to go first? What's your what's your favorite thing about football season? First pick. Uh, this is tough for me because there's just so much stuff. But the first thing I thought of is just just the environments, the atmosphere, seeing full stadiums. Whether that's next, that's Charlotte next week, that's Sandstorm, that's going to Rocky Top this year, going to College Station. Just the general. Oh, there's a hundred thousand. There's eighty thousand people coming to a small college town to make an environment somewhere. Um, I love that. Yeah, I, I definitely think you can't beat that. That's specifically if you're talking about college football, that's what it's all yeah. about. Um, there was really, I, 
very few moments um, in in my life that uh, exceeded the like mid fourth quarter uh, sandstorm against Tennessee, Tennessee last year. Yeah, yeah no, that was that was insane. Um, that's a good one. All right, so number one pick, atmospheres at stadiums. My number one pick. I'm gonna go generic here, but I think I think it's something that I, pretty much everyone can get behind. I'm gonna go with the weather. I love the transition into fall. Yeah. Uh, waking up on a crisp fall day, knowing that you got a full day of football ahead of you. Um, there's really nothing nothing better than that. Uh, so I got weather as my my number one pick. What's your number two pick? It was 105 degrees when I got in my car coming out of availability yesterday. Uh, no argument here about weather being the top pick. Um, now, my second one is late night football, whether that's Hawaii, whether that's Pac-12 after dark, rest in peace. Um, whether that's a Friday night game, you know, uh, a mat game in the middle of the week, just sometimes those get weird, those get chaotic. You've got a 35 to 34 game at one in the morning and you're still watching live football, especially college football. Um, I don't like covering those as much, but if, you know, there's a day game for South Carolina and I'm at home, I really love just the late night stuff. Yeah, I actually kind of miss that about um, living on the East Coast because obviously I'm, in, I'm on mountain time now. So they're not quite as late, but uh, I remember very many times in my 20s being like out at a bar after, you know, the Carolina game's over or whatever. And there's still football on the TV at like midnight, 1 a.m., whatever. whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you see some crazy stuff. I remember, man, I, it was like BYU and Nebraska maybe or something. Uh, but I have a very distinct memory of them like throwing a Hail Mary at the end of the mm -hmm. game, winning while we're just all kind of hanging out. Of course, yeah, I mean, you're you're in a, you're already in a, in a good mood at that point, so anything that happens is just magnified. Um, I guess I'm going to step a little bit away from college specifically here, but football season, I love fantasy football. Um, I feel like that's one of the things that I look forward to most throughout the year. Um, I have a group that I've been playing with for – eight or nine years uh people from my hometown and that's like pretty much the only time i even talk to them so cool way to kind of stay in touch there and we end up doing like really silly stuff to figure out draft order like uh next week we're doing a we're, we're calling it a 40 by 40 um oh so <laughs> uh you have to chug a 40 while completing a 40 yard dash or you know like the time starts when you start one or the other and that's how we're going to figure out draft order. So, Jeez. you know, everyone wish me luck that I don't die. I might be doing the podcast alone next week after UNC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's that Sunday. So our oh, final man. podcast might be that Sunday morning reviewing <laughs> UNC. Furman um, week, I'm just on my own. <laughs> um, 40 by 40, man. That's, it's it's a terrible just idea. random order. Just like hit a random draw button, pull names out of a hat. The thing is, I'm I'm one of the better uh, in shape of of the crew, so I'm actually legitimately worried about some hospitalizations for some of the other guys. We'll, we'll mm. see how it goes. <laughs> um, all right, number number three for you. Um, rivalry games, whether that's South Carolina Clemson, whether that's you know an NFL rivalry game, one of those big ones. Um, we're losing some this year, unfortunately, with the Pac-12 breaking up and stuff, but. I don't know. It's just nice when you see Michigan and Michigan State absolutely hating each other's guts. Um, maybe that got a little bit – that was a bad example last year with the tunnel fight. But still, the Egg Bowl on Thanksgiving, I love that. It's one of my favorite college football traditions. Um, sometimes you get the early season rivalry games, like, you know, Iowa and Iowa State played week two, week three. Just rivalry games in general. I just love those. I'm going to go a, a similar direction, um, but they aren't necessarily always – uh, tied to a rivalry or something, but just the random upsets in college mm -hmm. football. Um, and for some reason, they seem to come on like a certain weekend. You just have a weekend that has like weird energy. I mean, including the the South Carolina, Tennessee weekend last year. I, I can't I even remember yeah. what all happened. It was like Maryland was hanging with Ohio State, yeah. Illinois, or Michigan needed a last second field goal to beat Illinois. We were talking about that. Like, it's one of those Saturdays. Like, yeah. Yeah. And someone else got knocked off in the top group Damn, that weekend too. yeah um maybe tcu was playing baylor or something i don't know i can't remember exactly what it was but 
there was just a weird feeling in the air and it ended up kind of coming to fruition uh, that evening. So yeah, the random upsets and especially when like a weekend that you think is not actually going to be that exciting of a weekend just gets like some weird juju and goes off the rails. I believe the shutdown forecast term for that is a blood week. <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah, that's that's a perfect way to put it. All right, final pick for each of us. What's your number four uh, favorite thing about football season? Uh, I love it when, I guess this kind of applies to all sports, but just something about in football when a player comes out of nowhere, and really college football. I mean, I'm thinking Nicky Minori right now. I mean, none of us were really uh, had him on the radar going into last year. Then first arrive of the season, he makes a fourth down stop. Um, I don't, you know, like Joe Burrow, we knew who he was. We knew he was at Ohio State transfer. He'd never played great, and then he puts up the best season in college football history for a quarterback. Uh, and then a Western Kentucky quarterback, most of us hadn't heard of, ends up breaking Burroughs records. Just players you haven't heard of doing crazy things feels like a very uniquely college football thing. I'll put that down as that's emergence just, of yeah, sure. players. It's yeah. kind of hard to <laughs> phrase that, but you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. No, definitely. That's, a junior that's, college that's, transfer comes to Auburn or and Cam Newton and goes 13 and 0. Um, mine's a little bit more general fall, I guess, but I think that this is something that you can now enjoy at all uh, college football stadiums. I think all college football stadiums, definitely in the SEC when you used to not be able to. I like fall beer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no give me a nice like amber ale. I don't necessarily need like a full on like super sugary pumpkin thing with cinnamon on it or anything. Yeah. Uh, but I like a nice like red ale or like an amber ale or something that um, just, yeah, feels fall. Uh, reminds me of like, uh, you know, pumpkin patches or something, but not specifically pumpkin. You were thinking more like fall. I was thinking just things that like in football, but either way, no, it all ties I, I together. Like it. And yeah. I'm glad we're back. I'll, I'll find a way to reword mine to make sure that they at least sound all college football-y sure. um, before I tweet those out. But yeah, I, I Point being, there's plenty to look forward to in the coming weeks, um, and we are going to talk you through all of it, including the newest fall beer, maybe. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that would be great. If any if any brewery wants to uh, sponsor the Game Cuts podcast, I'm down. Yes. Um, all right. So last season, this was my favorite episode, I think, or up there um because we got to put our name on paper for some over-unders uh several of which i think we actually did a pretty good job mm -hmm. of hitting um i didn't go back and pull those i should have but I, I don't know you can go back and listen uh last august around this time um i know at the very least we um hit on special team stuff we hit on some uh Spencer Rattler, things that didn't come to fruition at no, first. They, didn't. they kind of got close. Um, I think we had a touchdown number at like 20 or 25 that ended up at 18, and that was with 10 in the last three games. Yeah, it definitely looked doomed uh, midseason, and then we, we got a little bit more respectable by the end. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's go back and do some over-unders. Uh, the way that we're going to do it, we have seven or eight of them picked out. Um, we'll go back and forth picking the line for the over-under, and then the other can kind of justify which way they want to go on that. So I'll start uh, with the win total. Um, I guess I could could have just gone with Vegas. I think that they have a set of like six and a half, um, which felt, I guess, kind of pretty close. Um, but since we all picked South Carolina to win eight games uh, in our way too early preview or whatever uh, at the end of July, um, I figured I would set the win total at seven. So do you see South Carolina going over or under seven wins? Can't pick exactly on 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 the money there. Why didn't you? Because I had, like, I know I had eight and four in July, but I'm kind of a little bit back to seven and five now, just kind of seeing how some other camps have gone and just kind of thinking about the schedule a little bit more. Um, as in, so if I do think they're going to go seven and five. Like that's what I put my name to now. So you're just asking, like, would it be more likely if they got to six or lower, or eight or higher? Yeah, pretty much. This is going to happen. Yeah. Um, that's tough. I think if they can't win seven games, I guess I'll just stick with what I said in July and say eight's more likely than six. 
Um, just because they got to eight last year, I do think there is something to be said about this team playing better at the end of the year than the beginning of the year, both of Beamer's two years here. The schedule gives you a nice home stretch there to end. Um, that's tough, but I think eight's more likely than six, so I'll go with that. Hey, you're telling me I, I, I put the number at the right place then? Yeah, that's um, <laughs> yes. um, um, Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. I think uh, eight is more likely than six, but eight is going to be tough. Um, I mean, it's it's we've talked about it throughout the offseason. It's going to be so essential to win uh, against North Carolina and against Mississippi State mm-hmm. and, Fer- and Furman, obviously. If you can go three and two in those first five games – all the doors are open. Yep. Uh, if you don't, then things get a lot more sketchy. Yeah. So we're going to go on to a players, to some player props. Now we're going to start with, I think what a lot of people would say is maybe the most important thing this year, Spencer Rattler passing yards per game. He was at 232.8 last year, but it got to 260 in the second half of the season. Um, obviously with some uh, Tennessee Clemson, you know, 400 yard outbursts mixed in there. I set this at 249 and a half. So I'm asking if he can improve his number by almost 20 yards per game this year. And you got to remember too, this goes for all of our offensive props. There's going to be less snaps this season. The clock's going to run after first down, except the last two minutes of the half. That's going to shorten possessions or shorten time, excuse me. Um, not just for South Carolina, for everybody, but you know, a 10 play drive that would have taken five minutes is going to take six or seven minutes now, just the way it's going to work. Uh, so there's going to be less possession. So 249, can Spencer Rattler average 250 passing yards per game this season? Yeah, I'm just trying to look at what like the average yards per game for some of the top quarterbacks uh, was last year, and try to like kind of kind of think Rattler about that. Was so 36th in the country, I believe 250 would put him up to 23rd on last year's number is what I had. So you're okay. asking him to basically be a top 20 yard just by yards quarterback in the country. Okay, let me give you a couple of names from 2022, uh, just as comparison, then I'll answer the answer okay. the question. So we're looking at Michael Penix Jr. He averaged 357 yards a game. Uh, He's Caleb, be good. Yeah, Caleb Williams averaged 324 Such yards a game. Yep. Drake Round May, uh, week one opponent, 308 yards per game. Mm-hmm. Stetson Bennett, 256.2 <laughs> yards per game. So that's kind of getting in that range that we're talking about. Um, Sam Hartman at Wake Forest was over 300 yards per game. Yeah. So um, I think that that's a good over under. I'm going to pick the over because I think if South Carolina is going to have success, it's going to have to be uh, over because we've talked about the the run game. And um, I don't know, the if the offense is set up the way that I tend to think that it is, uh, which is this more loose gunslinger mentality, uh, let – Rattler cook sort of uh, ideology, um, then I think he's going to get plenty of opportunities. And if he follows through with it, the way that it sounds like at least, you know, every indication since last November, uh, he has been, um, I think he exceeds that. So I actually would probably say he's going to be somewhere in like the 270. Okay. Wow. You're way over. Okay. Where would that, like, if you sold the page open, where would 270 put him on last year's list in the country? Probably it's got to be, like, pushing top 15. I did close it, but it, I can pull it right back up. It won't take... It, yeah, I'm, I'm just more wondering, like, uh, what does that actually mean in terms of a national quarterback or, for his sake, getting into an NFL draft discussion if he's going right. to average 270-plus a game this year? So if I filter by passing yards per game from yeah. last season, um, two... 70 let's just put that it's the line uh that would have put him right around the bo nicks territory which was 276 bryce young was 277 so if i'm actually counting up uh probably like 20 ish yeah so that's about yeah you're pushing top 20 top 15 quarterback there which i definitely think can happen uh but that is going to take a jump from you can't have the I think it was six games under 200 last year. That's half your schedule. Obviously, if that happens again, A, the prop's dead, and B, this team probably isn't going to get where it wants to go. Well, the narrative of 2020-22 was so tough, right? Because you came out kind of letting him throw it all over, and that wasn't working. Um, And then you ran it. 
with Marshall then, yeah. a lot. Yeah. For and then yeah, you won several games by playing ball control and getting enough on the ground to make it work and, and kind of taking it out of his hands. Um, but then when you played those uh, sort of upper echelon opponent opponents at the end of the year, we saw that you needed him to kind of be unleashed. And I think you just got to ride or die with that mentality this year. Especially week um, one, too. Oh, totally. Um, all right. Next one is turnovers, which is, is an issue that uh, has been harped about a lot this offseason. Obviously, I believe they were last in the SEC both of the last two years. or 27 turnovers last season in 13 games. Yeah, so you had 13 lost fumbles, 14 interceptions for 27 total, and you had 27 total fumbles. So you almost you, you got 14 of them back. Um, which you put is, the ball on the ground twice a game, which is yeah. hard to even believe. But so we're looking at 27 total. I think that they've made a huge, uh, I guess, emphasis on it. So I'm going to set the over under at 20. Do you think that they get it down? to 20 uh, or we see more of the same and they're in the bottom of the sec once again on that uh i'm gonna say they get it down to 20 just because i do believe a lot of turnovers are luck i do believe that ball bounces tip remember spencer rattler did throw 12 picks last year but he also had a handful of tipped interceptions i'm thinking of two against south carolina state off the top of my head um there was a tipped interception against florida too um and I also I don't think 20 is some outrageous number because even if you have 20 turnovers, that still means you're turning it over more than once a game, and that's still not good. But if you're talking about making incremental improvement, adding, I guess, that seven extra possessions to your season, um, yeah, I think I almost said they have to hit that, if, or this is not going to go the way you want it to again if you're a South Carolina fan. So you're going with the under? Yeah. Um, the, the real ideal, right, because – Luckily for South Carolina, at least they've uh, been really good defensively, forcing turnovers as well. Uh, the real ideal is that you somehow keep that up um, and get that number a little lower, and then you really start to see that impact uh, several games, I think, this season. But All right, so you got the under 20 turnovers. You can't turn the ball over 20 times three years in a row. Come on now. I hope that you are right. <laughs> Um, so we're going to go to another thing that was a big issue each of the first two years of the Shane Beamer era. That's been uh, stopping the run. That's I just it, it's been a problem. We we saw in the bowl game, especially Notre Dame ran for two sixty three, Clemson ran for two thirty seven last year, even in the game that you won. Obviously, Florida and Arkansas both torched you for uh, over three hundred yards each. Um, to get in the top one hundred nationally and top ten in the SEC which, again, is not some earth-shattering number, but they were 13th in the SEC last year and, I believe, 117th in the country. You would have to drop from getting up 192.4 yards last year to 170.5 to get the top 100 nationally. Can they cut 20 yards off their opponents rushing per game this season? All right, so just to give people context again, I'm looking at the 2022 numbers. This is from teamrankings.com, so I don't know how accurate or whatever it is. You said 170? Uh, yes, that would put them, I believe that would put them 10th in the SEC, which was what I was looking at earlier. 170.5. Okay. So, so here, here, here's some names that you're like kind of shooting for. North Carolina last year, it says, gave up 173.6. Yep. Ole Miss, 173.5. Vanderbilt, 172.5. Um bunch of g5 schools uh i'm trying to think of like some uh miami 147 i mean that's really low um i think i'm gonna go over i think that they improve i don't know that they improve that 20 yards uh, yeah um i it wouldn't surprise me if we're maybe in the 180s or so um yeah maybe i would i would say something like 185 but uh yeah, I don't know that they're going to improve quite that much. You're still replacing Jordan Birch and Gilbert Edmond. I do think we feel better about that than we did in the spring. Uh, now that you have JT Gear, you have Drew Tuazama, and then you have you know all the guys that you had coming back, some of the people that you're maybe going to shuffle from inside to out. Um, Donovan Westmoreland, who uh, seems like he's kind of made a permanent move to edge. 
Um, but yeah, I still think that they're probably going to have some trouble, at least early in the season, containing the edge. And you just play against some teams that can really run the ball very well. Uh, Georgia is going to run the ball well. Mississippi State's going to run the ball well. North Carolina's got two pretty good running backs. I mean, I know Drake May is the the headline there, but they're no slouch there either. Nope. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough uh, to, to get down to that number that you set, 175. or yeah, 170. So the two reasons for optimism here, I think, if you're South Carolina, would be, well, I guess 3A, you're more experienced in the defense. You've got, you know, Clayton White's talked a lot about linebackers and corners having to help and stop the run. All right, well, you think you're better there. Um, two would be the clock thing again. If teams are going to be running the ball, they're not going to get as many plays because the clock's going to keep going even when they do pick up first downs. And you're not facing as many running quarterbacks this year. You don't have KJ Jefferson on the schedule. You don't have an Anthony Richardson on the schedule. Um, Connor Wagman and AM is not as mobile as Haynes King was, I don't think. Um, you know, questions still to be had about Carson Beck or whatever in Georgia, but you don't have that. You don't have an obvious – You had last year you played two very obvious rushing quarterbacks in Jefferson and Richardson. Those were not surprisingly your two worst games of the season, stopping the run. And you don't have those this year on the schedule. So maybe that plays into it. Maybe it doesn't, but it's got to so be we, better either way. We have talked about that we expect the linebacker player overall to be better or at least more talented. Um, we'll see how much of the mental aspect of just getting people acclimated or whatever – to being full-time starters um, makes a difference there, but I could see a path, uh, but it's going to be tough. And, yeah. and I do think that that's a key, um, but also you're just going to have to be opt- opportunistic on defense. I still think you're going to give up a decent amount of yards this year, but you're going to have to bend and not break force some turnovers. Yeah. You know, all those sorts of things. You know, it's kind of the, the I'm thinking about the Kentucky game last year. You know, Chris Rodriguez got his yards like he did. And Devin A. Chain the next week in AM. they both had pretty good rushing totals. But Rodriguez didn't score. And I think A. Chain only did once. So yards and points. Um, all right. Let's move on to a fun player prop. Uh, so Kai Kroger uh, in 2021 through one passing touchdown in 2022 through two passing touchdowns in 2023. Is he going to throw a three? No, I'm going to, I'm not going to set the line. I, um, I set the line for Kai Kroger passing touchdowns at one and a half. So I'm going to make you have to go one direction or the other there. I'll take you over there. I think you can throw two. I don't think that's, that's a crazy ask. Um, I still think he's, going to be a part of this you know it's Pete Lembo like we're still talking about a guy who wants to drop things up on special teams a unit that's been very good at doing that we know he has the arm obviously um I don't think two touchdowns and what you're expecting to be a 13 game season is crazy I think it might be a little tougher just because there's so much of it on tape now um that people might be a little bit looking for it more but you would have thought that by Notre Dame last year and well, even that one in the bowl game, thinking so. about the Florida one that was a they were down 24 to nothing it was fourth and seven they weren't in field goal range that's a pretty obvious we can't punt the ball back but also we can't kick a field goal thing and Florida was not they called a timeout Billy Napier did and they still weren't ready for a fake coming out of the timeout and he had a wide open man scored so we keep saying teams are going to expect it and then you look at Florida, you look at the bowl game, you had a wide open man in the end zone. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and like you said, we know that both Beamer and Limbo like to put their finger on the scale in special teams uh, to try to make uh, something happen. They're not going to just sit there and, and let a team uh, beat them without at least pulling a couple of tricks out, which I, I appreciate, um, especially after sitting through the Will Muschamp era. I very much appreciate Um all right, what, what we got next? I think that this so, one's kind of weird but fun. Yeah, you put this on here for me to make a line, and I wasn't really sure where to go with it. But you have written here, broadcast mentions for Nick Harbour and Lenora Sellers before they get, get a yard gained. Um, I set this at two and a half for Harbour and one and a half for Sellers just because, <laughs> like, I don't really know where to go with that because, I mean, Harbour, we're still thinking he's going to be in Charlotte and have a chance to play week one. Maybe if he's not – in by halftime, oh, the five-star Nick Harbor. Probably get one early. Oh, they recruited the five-star Nick Harbor. And then a second one, maybe, if he hasn't been involved yet. And then maybe you're just asking about a third. And Sellers, 
maybe he comes up once, but he's still at this point QB three. And I don't think there's going to be a lot of broadcast attention on that. But also if you're trying to play this out multiple weeks, like that's, I don't know, are the ESPN plus broadcasters at South Carolina Furman going to have a lot to say about, I don't know, Lenora Sellers. Like this is, this is kind of your idea. I'll let you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, I guess the rationale here was, do you think either gets a yard in week one? Cause I, it wouldn't surprise me if either is brought up in week one. I think Harbor does. Um, I think he'll get a touch and end around the Jets. We talked, we were talking, talking with someone this week about the reverse last year. Jalen Brooks ran a lot that worked really well. Um, iced the game at Kentucky on a touchdown with that, ran it against Clemson, ran it against Tennessee. Is that the Nick Harbor play? Just because you get him not so much running routes, having to beat corners, just his straight line speed. Like I could see that happening. And if that's well, a touch, then here you go. And to answer your question about why would Sellers be brought up as the third string quarterback, is it possible that they have a package for him? Uh, yeah, maybe. Um, no, it's a fun prop. Um, I think Harbor's more likely than Sellers, just because A, he's the five star, and B, he's more likely to actually get a touch next Saturday, um, which is why his line is higher. But uh, yeah, I'll say two and a half for Harbor, one and a half for Sellers. You want to take sides there? Assuming Harbor's fully healthy, which is hard to assume. Um, Let's say he's fully healthy going into the the game. I think two is probably about right. So I guess uh-huh. I'll take under. Because um, like you said, I do think probably at some point in the first half, they try to get the ball in his hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first time he's out on the field, it won't surprise me if the broadcast points to him and says, hey, there's, there's that five-star. We know he's working on punt block too. Um, yeah. If that happens, you got to force a punt from Drake May for that to happen. But Yeah. So, and, and, you know, it's ESPN, so they can talk about any other um, outlet or whatever. So maybe the, someone brings up Feldman's freak list that he was right. number one on That's it true. or whatever. Um, I tend to think that we're going to see sellers in the first game at, at okay. like some sort of package, something. Um, so, would you say one and a half? Yeah. Will, he be, will his name be said twice before he gets a yard? I don't think they'll bring him up until he's in. And then I think if he's in, it's probably it he, once, he's so. he's doing some sort of keeper or something. Taking two unders uh, there. So yeah, two okay. unders. But I think probably both have something on the stat sheet by the end of the North Carolina game, assuming okay. everyone's healthy. Um, I think we have three more here. Uh I have two more, but I we might... we're gonna do another thing at the end too, but okay. Oh yeah, yeah. So um Two more over-unders and then one other thing. But The over-under that I have next is for the leading rushers' yards. I'm also interested in who you think the leading rusher is going to be. Yep. But So last year, Marshawn Lloyd was the Gamecocks' leading rusher. He had 621 yards, which is actually a little bit lower than I thought it was. Uh, 621 yards on 100 lemon carries. I guess he did miss some time, uh, especially at the end of the season. But mm-hmm. – um, now, Lloyd's former five-star traditional running back, we know that they don't necessarily have that uh, in the backfield this year. So I set the over-under at 615 yards for the leading rusher. Assuming someone stays healthy all year, uh, do we think anyone reaches that 615-yard threshold? Uh, I'm going to say no. I think this is going to be too much of a committee situation between um, Joyner, Braswell, uh, McDowell and Anderson. I don't, I mean, 615, you're talking about like 50 ish a game and a 12 game regular season plus a bowl game. Um, you'd like someone to get there and you'd like to think that maybe you put up someone goes for a buck, whatever against Furman or Jack State and that skews the average. But I'm still thinking, no, you're facing some pretty good run defenses. You're going to spread your running, you're going to spread your carries a lot. Um, and you're going to be throwing the ball a lot more than you're running it, I think. That's just straight up. So I'm going to say under on that. Yeah, I mean, you may skew 200 rushing yards against Furman and Jacksonville State or whatever, but you're also probably going to skew like 30 rushing yards against Georgia. So, um, Okay, so under, do you think that Dak Joyner is your leading rusher at yes, the end of the season? I do. Um, I think there's just too many different ways that you can run the ball, whether that's a traditional handoff, whether that's an end around, whether that's direct snaps. Um, I think he just, he gives you more experience than other backs. We know he's RB1 now, and I think there's more ways you can use him than maybe a McDowell or Anderson or Braswell at this point. I think just to be contrary, I might take the over. Um, 
honestly, because I, I was going to take the under two, but then when you broke it down as 50 yards a game, I think if he stays healthy, he could average 50 yards a game. Yeah. I, I think it'd be like really close, though, yeah. to that six. It's a good line. Um, and then the last number we have here, I just took the leading wide receiver. And again, I'm curious who you think that is. I made this really simple. Um, Juice Wells led you receiving yards last year at 928. Um, obviously, he's back. He's There's a lot of competition at wide receiver. But the line, 999.5. Will they have their first 1,000-yard receiver since Farrell Cooper in 2014? It's pretty straightforward, but that's where I'm putting the leading receiver. Man, I really hope that he gets back to full strength soon because that was something that I was targeting this season as something that I thought really had a good chance of happening. Um, I guess I can't hedge my bet, uh, but I will say if, if he plays the full season and is healthy, I do think he reaches that number, but because I don't think he's going to play the full season completely healthy. I think it's, he's going to be a little bit slow getting going in these first couple of weeks. Uh, he doesn't quite get there. Okay. Um, and this isn't on the sheet, but I think we both agree that Wells is the number one receiver. He's going to leave the team in yards. Who's second? Yeah. Who is the second most receiving yards this year, you think? I'm thinking Trey Knox. That would be mine. Yeah. Yeah. Trey Knox or Josh Simon. Um, it won't surprise me, given everything I've heard about Omega Blake, if he gets two, 300. I think Xavier Leggett's going to be in the conversation for yeah. second leading receiver as well. I mean, he had a really strong bowl game. We've seen him flash if he can mm-hmm. put it all together for a full season, uh, especially if Wells starts off a little slow. Uh, maybe he's your second leading receiver. Yeah, I still think there's the juice scenario where even if he does start slow, you're facing some pretty bad secondaries. Vanderbilt's secondary is not good. Jack State, um, we don't know how good Tennessee's is going to be. That You're into week five at that point. North Carolina's um, is not good. If he's well, that's the week one question. If he's going to yeah. be fully healthy, but I do think there is still a a way he could just go for like two twenty in a game. You know, one ninety in a game. I think he had one seventy in Arkansas last year early. Having that type of game to put him back on pace, even if he doesn't fully start the season healthy. Um, bold predictions. You got one. You got a bold take about two thousand twenty three South Carolina football. Bold prediction. Let me let me let you go first, um, okay. and then I uh, I'll share mine. I, you said the yours was out there, and I I can't wait. I don't know how out there this is after I thought about it, but I'm saying that Lenora Sellers will start South Carolina's bowl game. I think Rattler is going to be doing NFL draft prep. I think the staff looks at that and goes, maybe you know we love Luke Doty, but we see we have going into 24. Let Lenora face a real defense, so. I can't tell if that's like very normal and rationalized or, oh my God, you're picking QB3 to start the bowl game. But I think there's at least logic to it. I'm going to say Lenora Sellers is starting South Carolina's bowl game at quarterback. Okay. Uh, I like it. That that's also obviously depending though, on Rattler opting out for the draft. Because if that, right. obviously, if he's playing, he's going to start. But. Which I think that that part's less bold. But then it's also a clear like signal at that point to Doty that. They think Sellers is the future. So then what is that? Where does that put Doty? We did hear that maybe he's run a little bit at receiver. Would he stick around and try to make a, a transition to a new position? Would he go try to start a couple years uh, at a, at another school? Um, I don't know. There's That that creates a lot of questions um, that I guess will be, would be answered sooner in the offseason than if you tried to carry that battle in the spring. Well, you can also answer some of them, uh, one game sample, but watching Lenora Sellers play a whole game against at least a bowl caliber opponent. That's true. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would like to see it, uh, but we'll see. I, I think like that's that bold. I think that yeah, qualifies that's bold. as bold. Yeah, definitely. What you got? Um, all right. I kind of did this last year, and it ended up, coming to fruition um but i'll add another team in this year so last year i said they were going to be either georgia or clemson um i say this year they're going to be either georgia tennessee or clemson they get one of those games this year okay that's you got two of those three on the road um that's bold enough it's two of those three early when you're still gonna be figuring things out um i can get with that that's just the right amount of bold but also i wouldn't be that surprised well i mean depending on which one it is, you 
start to talk about mindset and momentum and all these things too, right? Like if you somehow came out it's of one that of the first two, yeah, if you win one of those first two and come out of that five game stretch four and one, yeah. uh, you have everyone's attention in the country. <laughs> um, if it's the Clemson game, I mean, it will still very much matter uh, as far as the trajectory of the two programs and, and all that sort of stuff. But probably by that point, you're more like that's your eighth win or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm good with that. Um, I'm going to get your pick, you whoever you want, but I think that's about right. I still, I don't think there's a way they're going to beat Georgia. I'm just not there, but, um, throw them in there, give yourself, give yourself a puncher's chance. And then you talk about the trip to Knoxville and the home game against Clemson. And if you do scalp one of those games, I think you're feeling pretty good about hitting your seven or maybe your eight. Yeah. I mean, I, if you get one of those games, one of those early games, then I think seven would be a disappointment at that yeah, point. Yeah, for sure. As if assuming you, you know, take care of business against Furman, maybe you be in Mississippi State at home. Yeah. And then um the last thing we had here was week zero. Wanna talk about some actual football Saturday? I think we got seven yeah, we have FBS some, games. We have some real football playing. Um you'll you might have to help me with the seventh game. I believe it is oh man. Who is even playing Ohio? No, I have that one. I'll give you the six. You maybe it'll come yep. naturally. So um, I put in a parlay earlier this week. Um, so some of these lines might have changed a little bit, but I'll kind of tell you uh, what the line was when I said it, and you can tell me if I'm dumb or not. Um, so I did a six pick parlay. Uh, the first game. So you I have every with, game on the board except one. I have every game on the board except for one. Uh, I guess I didn't feel confident about whatever that one was. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, the first game that I picked was San Diego State and Ohio. Uh, the line that I picked on was San Diego State minus three and a half. Um, that is Ohio at San Diego State. So you got some jet lag factor there. Uh, that's the 7 p.m. Eastern Fox game. Sports 1. Yeah, I'm looking at the yeah. schedule now. So uh, – I mean, I don't know if you've kept up with either of those teams. How are you feeling about San Diego State minus three and a half? Um, I know Ohio was pretty good last year. They were up in the MAC. They got their quarterback back. Um, I think Rourke is his name. Yep. I kind of lean Ohio there. I think the offense is better, but also I think San Diego State's probably the more talented. Well, they're all the more talented team. You should look at recruiting ratings and stuff. I think that's one of the closer games of week one, or I guess this is week zero, but um yeah i lean ohio there just with points but i think week zero yeah. is such a crapshoot i mean i think i picked san diego state to cover but then afterwards kind of regretted it as i looked a little bit more into it but I, I i agree with your breakdown i think probably san diego state the more complete team ohio has the best quarterback yeah yeah exactly um so we'll see how that plays out hopefully the fact that it's at San Diego State mm -hmm. helps me out a little bit there, too. It's not a bad uh, zero game. It's two pretty good G5 programs. Yeah. Then we got Vanderbilt uh, rematching Hawaii. So Hawaii's traveling to Vanderbilt. If you remember last year, Vanderbilt went to Hawaii and just beat the brakes off of yep. them. It was like 63 to 10, I believe. Um, Vanderbilt is favored to win by 17, or at least they were whenever I put in this bet. Uh, that's Saturday at 730. First SEC game, or not SEC game, but SEC involved game of the year. Uh, we've got staff picks coming out later in the week, and you can see what I did and everything. But I'm, I'm with Vanderbilt here. I actually think Vanderbilt can get to a bowl game this year. They won five last year. I don't think them winning one more is that much of a stretch. They've got their quarterback back. Um, they got some, they got a pretty good front seven again. You know, Clark Lee's a linebacker's guy. Um, I just, Hawaii's still in a total rebuild off the Todd Graham thing. I think they went three wins last year. I think Vanderbilt covers a 17 here. Yeah, I mean, Vanderbilt put 63 on them last year, and I think this Vanderbilt team is better than that one. Um, 17 feels kind of safe, but it also makes me suspicious. So we'll Three see. possessions, but I think yeah, Vanderbilt's yeah. just a lot better. Um, another tough one to call, and one that I think you know is basically a pick -em at this point, uh, UTEP is a one-point favorite against Jacksonville State at Jacksonville State. Jacksonville State, of course, is... Uh, their first year at the FBS level, um, the other Gamecocks. Uh, Come out of williams Bryce Stadium, November 4th. Yeah, so we'll get a little preview uh, of that one as well. But how are you feeling about that one? 
I think I actually don't remember what I put on the sheet. I think I put UTEP on the sheet for the website that, this week, but UTEP wasn't a bad team last year. I mean, that's that was another total rebuild situation there, but they put it together last season a little bit. I think they, what, they win five games last year. They get to, they get to a bowl game. You they know, didn't, the but they 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 made a bowl in twenty twenty one, and in then I think they okay. won five last year. Yeah, yeah so which five six borderline. Yeah, UTEP is still better than it's been there in a while. Um, I always question teams coming up that first year transition. You know, you're adding twenty two scholarships to the roster, whatever that looks like. I picked UTEP, but it's a coin flip. I mean, I think I, I just UTEP at least. I just went with my gut here. I got the Gamecocks on the shirt. Got to go with the other Gamecocks. Uh, so I picked Jacksonville State to cover plus one. It's at home, you know. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, the fact that they're stepping up a level, I'm interested to see if their lines of scrimmage hold up against a, a kind of what I'm thinking too. Power five a little bit longer, but um, that game's at five thirty, by the way. CBS Sports Network Eastern Time. Yep. Um, and then probably I guess the biggest marquee sort of matchup, although. It, it shouldn't really be much of a contest. Um, Navy at Notre Dame in Dublin. That's at 2.30 Eastern. Um, and Notre Dame, I have them uh, favored at 20 and a half, although I think that line's moved a little bit since then. Um, but, yeah, what, who, who are you picking there? Um, and it's got more to do with Navy being a first-year head coach after a, you know, a long time with Kendi and Montalolo. They're in a major transition I don't know how good Notre Dame is yet. I think they have a potential to be very good if Sam Hartman is Wake Forest Sam Hartman. But for now, I'll just take a team with a first-year head coach going overseas to not cover against one of the more talented teams. I'll just pick Notre Dame to just feel safer. Yeah. See, I picked Navy to cover, but mostly because 20 and a half feels high when you're, when you're playing against a triple option team. Particularly. That's true. And you're breaking um, a new quarterback. You're still figuring things out on offense. Yeah, that's. I don't even think they have. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't even think they have to score a ton, and I think Notre Dame will look like they dominated them, and it still might not quite get to that you, twenty you, and a half just, just because like, of time. Notre Dame grinds them out like twenty-eight to ten, and it never feels close. But also, they still don't cover the twenty kind of deal. Yes, something like that. Yeah, exactly. I can see that. So, um. Then we have New Mexico State and UMass. Uh, New Mexico State is favored in that one minus seven and a half, or at least they were when I picked it. Um, UMass was literally the worst team in college football last year. New Mexico State's been fine. They were another borderline bowl team last year. Seven and a half felt pretty safe to me. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm I'm taking New Mexico State there. Uh, UMass is just a mess, and it's a cross-country trip. And they did get to a bowl game last year, by the way. New Mexico State went six and six, so... Take them there. I believe, I believe UMass did bring their head coach back from like twenty. Don Brown, yeah, he's the head coach in era, whatever it was. Um, the former Michigan defensive coordinator, yeah. Also, their quarterback. Do you know who UMass's starting quarterback is? I don't. I don't know how to say his name. He's the former Clemson backup to Trevor Tayson Pomponette. Uh, you know who I'm talking about? No. Tayson, <laughs> what? He was Trevor's backup at Clemson for a little bit. And I got gotcha. bounced to somewhere else, and now he's at UMass. Um, okay. There's a few of those this year. Um, Casey Thompson, the former Texas quarterback, Florida Atlantic starting. Uh, JT Daniels of Georgia and USC fame is at Rice now. Um, it's been an interesting uh, little quarterback carousel here. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it's tough out there. We're what we'll I'm pretty sure we'll have to talk in the coming seasons about where all these four stars that South Carolina is collecting yeah. are going to end up as well. So. <laughs> um, all right, and then the last one I have, and then you can try to figure out which one I missed. I uh, I USC is minus 30 and a half uh, against San Jose State. That game is at USC. That'll be 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Uh, local time for those guys. I'm taking the Heisman Trophy winner who's going to want to put up points early to make a statement um, against a seven-win Mountain West team. So anyways, or San Jose State's fine. They went to the bowl last year, but – we're talking about a team that's trying to win the national title here. It's going to want to come out and show it early. Yeah, I was. I would probably have picked USC minus whatever. Um, yeah. I do have concerns about USC's defense, and if San Jose can score enough points to like keep it at like twenty five, it's a lot um, of points. I mean, you talk about over four touchdowns, but so that, that that's my big concern there. But 
We'll see if I hit that parlay. I put 20 bucks on it to win a thousand. So there you go. We can get a brewery <laughs> to sponsor us. That's right. Um, um, the game or, you have yeah, missing maybe, here. Maybe I change careers if I start hitting some of these parlays, you know? Um, um, yeah, we've we'll got Florida International at Louisiana Tech at nine o'clock Eastern on CBS Sports Network. That's Louisiana Tech minus 11 and a half is the number here. Uh, I know FIU was very bad last year. Um, and Louisiana's Tech's at home, so I guess I'll just run with that. But that was um, that was that's a pretty forgettable game. Of all the games here, that's probably the most forgettable. Um, yeah, well, and I guess and Louisiana I think Tech was a three-win team last year too. So although they didn't lose two games in overtime, I think that's why I didn't choose it. I didn't know yeah. what to do with that one. That's the last game about them. That's not a recognition. Late night football, just watching Louisiana Tech and FIU at like midnight to nine o'clock kick. So next week we'll be back on Thursday to preview North Carolina. Um, we will have plenty of coverage uh, of the week ahead on GameCocksCoop.com. Next week will be the last time that we only do one podcast a week. Then we'll start doing two podcasts a week to review games, preview games all throughout the season. Um, don't forget to hop on that promo. So use promo code kickoff 2023 you can get one year of gamecock scoop premium for 60 percent off uh that's only going to run through monday so make sure you take advantage of that if you're listening to that before the 27th or 28th or whatever monday is and we'll be back next thursday to talk north carolina going to talk a little bit about the back half of the schedule um anything else that happens in the meantime until yeah. then this has been the gamecock scoop.com podcast we will see you later.